Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com slash smart people and enter offer code expert. A better web starts with your website. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I almost forgot the tagline right there. I'm Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. And we got a great show for you today. Pretty pumped because this was actually a recommended to us by a listener. And he reached out on email, smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com, or just go to our website, contact us. And he said, guys, I heard Sam talk at an event recently, and he was great. You should have him on. So we did exactly that. We reached out to Sam, booked him for the show, and now you guys get to listen to an awesome interview about energy and architecture, all that cool stuff. Yeah, actually, I don't think we've had an architecture-based show yet. I don't think so. It's always cool when we mix it up a little bit. And then, of course, we reached out to the guy who knows probably the most about green, energy-efficient homes. Zero energy, is that what he, he refers to it as oftentimes? I believe it, yeah, it's zero energy or zero net energy, something along those lines. Yeah, so it's basically free to run the electricity and heat and cooling and all that in your house if you have one of these homes. So there's a lot of benefits to it. We're not going to act like we're the experts as always. John, why don't you tell them about Sam? 
Sam is the chief architect of the Building Technologies Office in the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. I don't know if that actually fits on his business card, but <laughs> that's a pretty pretty awesome title and a great place to work, the Department of Energy. Sam actually ran Energy Star for a long time. Energy Star grew under his leadership to something like 6,500 builders. He was definitely important getting Energy Star as popular as it is now. Sam received his Bachelor of Architecture from Syracuse University. He completed his Master's of Urban Planning Studies at New York University. And he is a registered architect in California and New York. And as you put it, being an architect is looked at as sexy. Yeah, well, you're going to have to listen to the interview to hear what Sam says about that. So <laughs> thanks for joining. Hope you enjoy. Uh, rate us on iTunes if you can. You can find us at smartpeoplepodcast.com. And we're going to turn it over to Sam. Sam, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. know you're busy with all the things you're out there kind of saving the world and our over usage of energy. Uh, before we get into kind of what you're doing now, I really want to talk about how you discovered this passion you have for renewable energy, architecture, housing design, and kind of give us a little bit of background of where that started. Uh, well, you know, for most people, it's always a struggle to find your lane, and some take longer and some less. For me personally, I think I always knew I, I loved designing and working with housing. I was building models of new homes for my friends' parents when I was like 10 or 11 years old, like they were clients. I would build these <laughs> models, and I took uh, drafting architecture courses from all my electorate courses in junior high school and high school, and of course, I went to architectural school, so I, I always knew uh, about housing, and I, I knew that, you know, I knew that was a real important direction for me. And, and the second part, though, the energy and the renewable technologies, that came just uh, at a glimpse. Uh, last semester of architectural school, took an elective, and then did some reading and got an invitation to join a solar business when I first started for my own practice after working for some large firms. And it, it, it kind of grew from that. And um, I really did start a practice in the uh, aftermath or the height of the oil embargoes of the 1970s. And the impact of those embargoes was that inflation just went rampant and uh, interest for home projects went up to 18 to 20% right when I started my practice to specialize in housing. So no one was doing housing and so I, I just kind of found a job working in uh, energy efficiency and renewable technologies and doing architecture on the side. And it all kind of grew from there and then to Energy Star. Now, you know, architecture in general is one of the, and maybe this is just my opinion, but it's one of those industries that it's kind of sexy. I mean, people want, you know, you hear it like it's a prestigious thing to go to school for and to a, a place to work in. So I could see having a draw to that, especially knowing what you were interested in at 10 years old is, is pretty incredible, pretty rare. As you went through school and then into your career, did you always keep that passion? Was it something that you just kept enjoying more and more? Or was there ever a time where you got there and thought, wait a second, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be and had to look at it differently? Well, 
you, know, you always have to kind of deal with the constraints around you. And like I mentioned, when interest went really high for residential projects, I wound up doing a lot of commercial projects, uh, uh, public works projects, uh, urban renewal projects, uh, medical offices. I was doing anything I could get. And what that experience did was reinforce how much interest I really had in housing. That, that was what I wanted to specialize in. So sometimes you, you kind of do you do just based on the external forces acting on you. But if you listen to your inner signals, you, you always know, I think, where your where your passions lie. So h- housing was pretty obvious. It was the energy and the renewable stuff that kind of came in more as an after uh, thought to architecture. And, and I sort of realized how some of the early things I did were problematic. And uh, once I learned building science uh, and understood that, I really got worried about my first architectural projects. So uh, you learn all the stuff you were missing. Hmm. So it, it, you just you find a way. Sure, sure. No, I, I appreciate that. It's actually, I agree with you on a lot of that. Well, one quick point, though, if I sure. could just interrupt. You yeah. know, when you say architecture is sexy, of course it is. It's, it's, when they, it's the profession that probably provides the most uh, stressed income condition and uh, some of the most litigation risks. So, of course, it's sexy. <laughs> really? I, yeah. I was unaware of that. Yeah, I, I think among all the professions, it's got to be in the lower pay scale side, and you have so many things you're responsible for, so many risk factors. And one of the things I think that attracted me to housing was I understood it, and I could minimize my risk, because that was a building type I studied, and I knew, and I could do consistently with a lot more confidence. No, that makes sense. And then so you became the founding director of the Energy Star program. Is that correct? Yes. So everyone out, I mean, not everybody, but most people have seen Energy Star. It is all over the place. It's a fantastic thing that was done by the uh, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, when you started with them and kind of how you turned it into this massive thing that it is today and in a great way. Oh, wow. That, that's a story. You know, um, there's three key ingredients for me to launching a new program when you have technology or practice that's really ready for the market. When I say ready, I mean it's really cost-effective and its performance meets or exceeds your consumer expectations. So in other words, it, it's, it's good to go, but there's something – some reason why it's not happening, often it's education or there's some delivery challenges getting the innovation to the market. So you know, the three pieces that you really have to have is the product has to meet the constraints of the customers you're going after, in this case home builders. You have to have the message right. And third, you have to have a supply chain that will effectively take the product, which in this case is a label for high-performance homes, to the market, from to the builder, and then to the consumer. And so if you do those three things, you're, you're going to probably be successful. Now, I wish I could tell you we knew all that with that amount of clarity when we began Energy Star for Homes. We didn't. We kind of were all learning. There had really been nothing like that before. I, I, you know, instinctively, we knew about messaging, and we knew the product had to meet uh, the market's um, limitations, uh, the supply chain stuff was kind of new, but we did something really unusual, but for the right reasons. We hitched our wagon with Energy Star at the beginning to a requirement that it had to be certified by a accredited HERS rater, Home Energy Rating System rater. So that was a requirement. There was one little hiccup. There were no HERS raters. National infrastructure for HERS raters was down to like three small fledgling operations in Indiana, 
um, I think Salt Lake City and maybe Mississippi, but there was virtually no infrastructure. And we still held by that because it broke the rule of being ready for the market because we knew the six staff at, D, at EPA could not go out and deliver that program to the nation's housing industry, 100,000 builders. We needed some delivery system, and it wasn't us. So we, we took on this uh, challenge to work and help facilitate the, the development of the HERS infrastructure. Uh, we gave a disproportionate chunk of our total funding in a grant to ResNet to form and become an oversight organization for the HERS industry. I spent a tremendous amount of time traveling and working with raiders to visit builders and to give them solutions and tools for meeting with builders and being successful. When we worked with our prospective distribution channel, which was the uh, utility programs and state programs, we had a constant message was the best use of your resources was to help develop the HERS infrastructure locally in your market. And so all these things wound up that within three, four years, we finally did have a HERS industry emerge. And our management knew that that was critical, and that explained why our numbers were like so, so small for years one, two, and three. But that HERS infrastructure was the final solution. We had a right product, a great label that helped distinguish builders. We had great messaging about how it costs more to own a better house and all the comfort and and durability benefits, also with big savings. So we had all those pieces right. And then once we had the infrastructure with the HERS Raiders and the distributors through the utility and state programs all come together, effectively Energy Star took off. So thereafter, we just had to be really good at making our operations, serve our customers, and meet the speed of business requirements, and make sure that we evaluated our program and continuously improved in all the elements of how we were operating. So that was the basic formula for how it took off. But, you know, there's a lot more clarity for me to describe that now, 17 years after leading that program, than I would have had just years into it. Uh, it was real important to study it and understand it as we were becoming successful. For you to be able to verbalize kind of that level of clarity goes to show how much you have not only gone, been through it, you know, actually been through it all, but... Uh, look back and reflected on it and saw what worked and what didn't. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and so. But you work your way through it. So one of the things that stuck out to me is you mentioned the messaging that you you have to eventually pass along to the consumer, which in your case I'm assuming is the home buyer, although you're kind of pitching to the developers. Is that correct? Yeah, but I will tell you right now the key message was the builder message because if the builder didn't build the Energy Star home, there was no product on the shelf to message the home buyer about. And the key outcome of both messaging was to change behavior, which is asking a lot of your message effectiveness. You, you want people to change behavior, you, you better hit your points right. So first we had to get builders to change behavior and actually build these homes 30% above the code. And then we had to help develop the messaging that would engage home buyers. One of my questions is, why not just lobby the government to raise the code? Well, effectively, that's what happened through the back door. By Energy Star growing to almost 30% of the market nationally, codes have been going up mm, because of that. So if you draw a graph of the U.S. United States energy codes from the 19, late 70s 
from now, it's like an exponential curve. It's very shallow slope, and then as soon as 2006 comes along, you go to the 2009 IACC, it takes a hard turn up. And then 2012, it keeps going up. And what's happened was that when Energy Star was able to uh, establish a large presence for many of the innovations that were being targeted, those innovations can then move into the code. So Energy Star is really a way to demonstrate to the code community which innovations are ready for adoption and, and effectively a mandate. And I can tell you, for instance, things are in the code today because of Energy Star are things like um, tight air sealing and testing the air sealing with blow dart tests, uh, tight duct sealing, and then measuring the duct sealing with a, a duct blaster test, mm. uh, complete comprehensive thermal bypass set of details and ensure the insulation actually works. Normally the codes were up to energy storage just asking for the quantity of insulation, but not the quality of the installation. And with Energy Star now, you have a complete thermal bypass checklist set of requirements that are all part of the code and uh, in now ensure the insulation works. Also, the codes are able to ramp up the requirements for insulation, the requirements for equipment and windows. So all these things really are part of a market transformation process. It starts with really great research, particularly here at DOE. The Building America program is a hub of research and innovations for the industry. Then you have leading builder programs like the DOE Zero Energy Ready program, formerly the Challenge Home program, that move the leaders to the highest levels. And then you have the mainstream programs like Challenge Home that take builders to do the mainstream level performance that they're ready for. And then when enough market penetration occurs, the codes kind of come in, clean up, and make them mandates. It's a very much a good government set of programs where all the pieces uh, create a system for transforming the market. You know, it's really interesting, actually. Sometimes you wonder, oh, what is energy? How interesting is it going to be? You know, things like heat. Okay, it, we lose a little bit through the windows. But as you're talking about it, especially because everybody lives in a house of some sort, it's so personal. It's something we're in all day. We don't necessarily see this transfer of energy. It's really interesting, especially when you talk about, you know, like, I saw a commercial, and I actually want to ask you if, it, if this is BS or not, where somebody comes and they do energy ratings and they look at thermal imaging and where it's going, and I'm sure they charge an arm and a leg. And I got all fired up when I saw it. I was like, oh, I want to see that on my house. But are these these things, especially the ones that are on TV or whatever, are they gimmicks or are this is this legitimate cost savings and environmentally friendly things to do? And now it's time for our awesome sponsors who support Smart People Podcast. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. You know you want to put something out there on the web. We actually just got an email the other day from a listener who said they were starting a podcast, and we inspired them, which is awesome. They then told us they were using Squarespace because they're not a computer person, but Squarespace is simple and easy, it has beautiful design, and you can drag and drop content. Then, if you run into problems, there's 24-7 support through live chat and email. Squarespace can be used by any novice or expert to make a great website. Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to go to squarespace.com slash smart people and use the offer code expert to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's offer code expert to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for smart people podcast. 
Squarespace, a better web starts with your website. You're saying your question is referencing existing homes, right? Yes. Well, the answer is the same answer to like 90% of questions a person would be asked. It would be, it depends. Uh, I don't know the specific claims and specific organizations involved, but yeah, you, you can take a house today to almost zero energy ready performance that uh, just with a, a comprehensive home makeover. And so uh, it can be done, and, and, and technology and diagnostics like infrared cameras are great tools for figuring out where the problems exist, although we often know, often just by the vintage of a home, a lot of the issues that we have to deal with. Hmm. But what people don't really talk about a lot is one of the most significant infrastructure issues in the country is the 115-plus million existing homes, including about 70-plus million single-family homes, in the country. Uh, we talk about the road system and the bridges, and we talk about the utility grid, and we uh, talk about the water supply system and all these other infrastructure issues because they're aging and they're out of date and they have leakage and they have all these problems and there are health issues and safety issues. Well, the exact same thing exists probably in over 95, 98% of the housing in the country is a tremendous infrastructure issue because there are health issues, there are comfort issues, there are amazing high energy bill issues compared to what they could be. There are safety issues in many cases because of um, uh, the ability to backdraft appliances and equipment. Uh, there are issues with mold and moisture problems. And people know this every day. You know, They know when the basements are dank, they know when they're seeing bugs in their house, they know when they have condensation of windows and sometimes walls. Uh, they know when their energy bills are over two or three or four hundred dollars a month. Uh, they they know because they just seem to be sick more often in their homes. Forty percent of households have at least one doctor visit for respiratory illness a, a year. Uh, we we all know something's going on, and effectively, our nation's housing infrastructure is in sad state of disrepair or uh, out of date status, just like our bridges, our roads our utility systems, and they badly need to be updated. So this isn't spurious claims if it's done by a reputable organization. Homes need to be improved. I got to ask you this because that really was – it just sparked my curiosity so much. You mentioned – People being sick because of their house. I mean, the things going on in it. And I, I read about how, you know, at the EPA, you're looking at the uh, or you're working on the indoor air quality label, which is something I wanted to talk to you about. I myself live in a house that was built in 1959, and it has all of those things you're talking about. You know, there's some bugs. You can't help that. Condensation on the windows. There's drafts. You can help it. <laughs> oh, see, that's you live the thing. in a modern zero-energy-ready house, you have no bugs. <laughs> yeah. See, and that's that's the thing. I've never – I just thought bugs go along with that. So first, let's tell me about this, the air quality in a house. How can – somebody who, who's not going to just move into a new house, how can they make it better? What does it do? What are, what are signs for poor air quality? All that stuff. Well, first of all, let's – understand the degree of the problem. Uh, EPA analysis will tell you on average indoor air pollutants versus outdoor air pollutants are two to five times greater and up to a hundred times greater. Okay, I'll repeat that one more time. The indoor pollutants in our homes is on average two to five times greater and up to a hundred times greater than the outdoor air pollutants. And we spend 90% of our time indoors. Americans spend 90% of the time indoors, 60% of the time indoor, but inside their homes. 
So that just frames the challenge and the problem that we have. Uh, now, take your house, which was built in the 50s or the late 50s. That means it has a likely chance of having lead paint and asbestos products in the home. Homes built before 1978 were allowed to be built with lead paint and with asbestos, often an insulation in some materials. So right away, you know, when you buy an older home, that is something you have to watch out for before you do any major renovation, repair, start, uh, start kind of scraping paint or doing anything that's going to unencapsulate the embodied lead in the paint or the asbestos and in the insulation products or the flooring materials. You have to know that. In fact, EPA has requirements that now you have to have an official lead abatement program on any renovation on a pre-1978 house, and that means you have substantial cost increases any time that you improve an existing home. Uh, but what mostly manifests itself in terms of health will be respiratory illnesses. But you should also know that 12,000 people a year die from radon contamination. A radon is a radioactive gas in the soil below our homes that seeps inside because the older homes don't have radon mitigation systems the way a zero-energy-ready home would, a challenge home or DOE uh, zero-energy-ready home. And so the radon now can seep in our homes and be a, another dangerous risk that we have to watch out for, and that shows up most often as lung cancer. Uh, then there are all these chemicals that are inside our homes, paints, board products, sheathing materials, cabinet materials, all have or often have formaldehyde that is a very dangerous carcinogen. Uh, VOCs are in carpets, carpet padding, uh, paints, adhesives, and glues, and the house is surrounded by those chemicals. Now, again, all these things are enforced out of homes that earn the DOE zero energy ready home label, formerly the challenge home. We insist that all those you have to only use certified products that are free of these dangerous, dangerous contaminants. And now, what do you do if you live in an existing home? It would obviously would become, I think, your next question, maybe. Yeah, mm -hmm. I literally wrote that down. <laughs> so what you do, basically, you prepare to die, and you're good to go. Jesus. So, uh, but seriously, what you have to do is you have to think about your risks and address them incrementally. For instance, uh, EPA has maps that show the radon propensity across the country. And if you live in a zone one, which is a very high radon concentration zone, often a lot of granitic rock soil, mountainous climates, if you live in those locations, you probably should have a radon test done in your house. It costs like maybe $10. It's just a sample that's taken and sent into a laboratory and you find out what your level of radon is. The unit of measurements, the picolary EPA sets four as a upper threshold of safety, they're thinking of lowering it to two. But if you have four or higher, you can put in a radon mitigation system, providing you have a gravel layer below your slab so you can collect the gases and vent them up and out through um, the roof or through a downspout type of vent that will take them up above the roof. So number one, I think everyone should look to see where they are in the country relative to radon risk. And if they're in an area that has a high radon concentration, have a radon test done. If the test shows up high, you can purchase a radon mitigation system. Now let's get back to some of these other um, contaminants such as um, uh, mold and moisture. They will often show up as respiratory illnesses. Um, the reason for that will be when relative humidity gets excessive, you'll have something called the dust mite population 
go berserk in your house. You know, you get billions and billions of them in your carpets, your pillows, your sheets. So you really want to keep your relative humidity 55% maximum. And uh, often in hot, humid climates, it can float above that, particularly in less efficient homes. I often recommend people don't make the mistake of setting back their cooling when they go on vacation and let the house get very humid because that will breed the dust mites while they're gone. So keep your house dehumidified. Don't don't set the thermostat too high so that the cooling system isn't operating and providing its dehumidification function. Now, if you're noticing that your uh, eyes are irritated a lot, you have headaches, that could be a symptom you have too many VOCs in your home. You may want to think about repainting and looking for sources or of them like carpets and padding. Now, we often introduce a lot of furnishings in our homes that have chemicals, and we need to ask questions about the chemicals used in furniture when we buy it. But to be fair, the manufacturers of furniture are required to put in these fire retarding chemicals by uh, law so people are protected during fires, and some of those do include dangerous chemicals. I can go on and on about health. It's a whole topic that can consume <laughs> all our time. But I want you to get a sense is just a lot of indicators Basically, the simple and short answer is if you're sick, living in your home, it can and often will be some of the indoor environment factors that are contributing to your sickness, and there are a number of tests and there are experts in indoor air quality you can consult with and, and improve your life. When I hear you talk about the housing industry really as the same as like our public infrastructure, it immediately makes me think, man, there is an opportunity for a lot of jobs here. So I have a two-part question for you, the first being... Are you seeing an increase in jobs in this market that you know, you're know you focused in? And then the second being, because homes are usually owned by individuals or companies or whoever it may be, do you think that the government will step in in the same way that they will for infrastructure and possibly – I know they offer tax rebates and breaks and that type of thing to buy Energy Star compliant appliances, but do you think that they'll – assist further in looking at houses as infrastructure and that it needs to be improved for people's health and for climate and those types of things? One of my biggest frustrations is there already is a solution for about five to six million homes a year. Uh, those are the homes that are, are existing home sales. When a home is sold, everyone has a right to, well, not everyone, everyone getting an FHA mortgage, which is a very substantial amount of mortgages in the country has a right to ask for a energy efficient mortgage, which is a um, incremental additional amount of funds you get on top of the home mortgage price to provide resources to improve the house energy performance. And the reason why that is so frustrating is because what that is is the opportunity at the point of sale to initiate an additional funding, 30 year funding option for energy improvements where the monthly cost of the energy improvements in that incremental mortgage amount will be far, far less than the monthly energy savings. In other words, if I add 10000 or let's say $20,000 to improve my house, energy-efficient mortgage improvements, 20000 costs me about $80 a month in my mortgage. After taxes, that add comes up to about $60, $62 a month. Those $20,000 can easily save me $120, $150 a month, on my energy bill. So every month I'm paying 62 and I'm saving 120. That's like an infinite rate of return. The day I move in, I'm, I'm have a cash flow because my energy investment yields all these savings and the value of my house has just gone up probably a lot more than that 20,000. 
because the fact that the next buyer will see a house with low bills and without moisture issues and that just feels cleaner and feels more comfortable will probably impact the price much more than the 20000 increment. Yet the 5 million home sales, when they happen, how many people will take advantage of that opportunity to reduce their cost of housing? I've never even heard of that. Hundreds of 1%. Yeah. Wow. So this is like, so do we need a government incentive or a government tax credit? We have already an opportunity to lower your cost of ownership, to live healthier, live more comfortably, to reduce your maintenance, to make your house more valuable, and to do it for lower cost, and people don't do it. It's really an education message, isn't it? It's not really we need subsidies. We just need to make people smarter about how to optimize the largest purchase of a lifetime. Absolutely. And you know, this, that's the first time that I've actually ever heard of it. And I've, I'm not in the market yet to buy a house, but I immediately wrote that down because I want to take advantage of that. And hopefully, you know, we'll reach some listeners to this podcast that possibly hear about that for the first time too. So I 100% concur that it's an education issue here. Yeah, let me formally put a complaint out there, which is that Fannie Mae used to have an energy efficient mortgage. And because no one participated in it, they removed it. And that's a crime. Wow. Because every Fannie Mae mortgage should also be eligible for energy-efficient mortgage. Now, there's something called, I hate to get technical on you, a 2 or 3K mortgage improvement program where it works like an energy-efficient mortgage. You can get an extra incremental 30-year funding for up to like $20,000, 30000 or $50,000. And that might be a way, a backdoor to do the same kind of thing. But it's very much, to me, frustrating that an organization like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac would not have an energy-efficient mortgage. I feel if like... Have them vested in a better home that has lower ownership cost and therefore their, their buyer, who they are tied to with a higher net income, to better pay their mortgage. I feel like that is a no-brainer even on their part because they're lending more money. Therefore, you know... I know. I look at it the same way as the... uh, They're lending more money while reducing their risk. I know. It's almost like they're biting their nose to spite the face not to have it. The Hmm. problem was when they had it, there was so little participation because it was so ineffectively sold. Right. That's the thing. They didn't realize at the point of sale that they had this magic opportunity to lower their cost of housing. I think that's the thing. I mean, as consumers, if it's not something proven to us, we're sold so many things on a daily basis. Somebody can come up and say, hey, yes, this is $30,000 in debt, but I promise you're going to make it back. And unless it's, you know, you (laughs) telling me this or it's proven to me or sold to me properly, I'm going to go, no, no, I don't believe you. You're just trying (laughs) to add on to my payment. There's so many ways our market's broken. This is just one more. Sure. Wow. That's crazy. And, you know, I really actually I was looking at the book you wrote not too long ago, Retooling the U.S. Housing Industry. And it's really interesting in general because you talk about it being broken. And this, I guess, is just one instance of it being broken. And I know now you're very passionate about the zero energy ready performance. I'm assuming that's where we're going towards I was hoping you could tell us what that means exactly, zero energy ready performance, and how we get there, how we are getting there. Zero energy ready performance means that a home is a high performance home, so energy efficient, it can offset most or all annual energy consumption with renewable power. Now, I didn't say just energy efficient, I said it's a high performance so efficient because it doesn't do you any good (laughs) if the home's efficient but it's not comfortable, it's not durable, it's not healthy, it doesn't ensure safety, it doesn't have all these other expectations met. 
So it's a high-performance home soil efficient. And the idea is that you want to make it uh, cost-effectively energy efficient. So you take it as far down as you can. And normally that's going to be at a point where you're about 50% more efficient than the codes. You take the rest of the way with the renewable power system. You can buy carbon offsets. You can put in a solar electric system, a wind system. Whatever way you want to use renewable power, I'm indifferent. But the point is, at that point, your house is almost negating its carbon footprint, and it is so incredibly affordable. Now, imagine uh, we have all these examples of utility bills of five, t- seven, eight, ten dollars, where the entire bill is just a service charge to the utility for the uh, hookup to the grid. Yeah. And so, uh, can you imagine people who went from having a house where they're paying three hundred a month to ten dollars a month? That's like getting a car that gets thousands of miles per gallon. Now, if we had a car that got 1,000 miles per gallon, we would tell our friends, we'd tell our family, we'd stop people in the street and <laughs> brag about a car, a 1,000-mile-per-hour car. Well, you can get a 1,000-mile-per-gallon house effectively equivalent when you get a house down to 10 20 30 $40 a month utility bill. And virtually, it is almost as emotionally exciting as, as it is to have a car that's very efficient because the house is the biggest purchase of a lifetime. So we get there with very basic tried-and-true solutions. No risk here, no experimentation. These are proven solutions for doing really efficient walls and roofs and floors. It's using really good windows, really good techniques for how we install all the insulation and the air sealing details, being real prudent about what goes inside the home, making sure the lighting and the appliances and the equipment and the water heating are all energy efficient, and... You add all that up, and very quickly you have a house that virtually can offset all of its energy use. I would love that. Both Chris and I are in the Washington, D.C. area as well, and I'm sitting in my apartment. The other day, it was 65 here. It was nice. I finally moved the towel out of the way of my back door because (laughs) I get such a bad draft. And then last night, it was you know 22 degrees here, and I had to put that towel back down because I felt constant wind gusts coming through my door. And this apartment can't be more than... Eight, ten years old. Say, yeah. It's it's not that old, but the the standards for the stuff that they are in here. I'm sure I'd get a zero on any test that you have. So effectively, buildings built eight, ten years ago are substandard. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Wow, it's, it's, it's we, unbelievable. Well, when we build a even an Energy Star home built to the minimum requirements of the program, will be, be illegal to build in two or three years because Energy Star is pegged to the 2009 code that is being um, replaced by many states adopting 2012 in the next few years. So in other words, I, even an energy star home is substandard in two or three years. The en- zero energy ready home through Department of Energy is specified to the future codes. So you actually make your investment and you know it won't be obsolete in just three or four years. And more importantly, you get all the performance and you get all the uh, assurance that your house just really is is one built to where housing is going. Its value position in the future is greater, and all the enjoyment factors in terms of health and comfort are also enhanced. So it just becomes, uh, for me, like a no-brainer, particularly because the savings can often pay for the additional monthly mortgage increment to get the homes to that level of performance. It's really incredible. It's one of those things, talking to you, having the opportunity to talk to you and learn about this, it's frustrating to know what is out there, what the possibilities are, and what is not being done. But on the same token, we can say a lot is being done as proven by your work 
Energy Star, what's happened. So, you know, I really want to say, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing this message. And kind of thanks for taking up this cause, because as you mentioned, that curve, that hockey stick, you know, exponential curve is going up. And I think it is very closely tied to the work that you've done in similar organizations over the past couple decades. Well, yeah, it's been a privilege to be part of a process involving a lot of amazing, passionate people and talent. And uh, we feel you know, really honored to just be able to, in the case of Energy Star, now the DOE Challenge Home, which is the DOE Zero Energy Ready Home, to engage in an industry that I love. Uh, and, and most importantly, all a consumer has to do to really help their selection process be even smarter is look for a label, a DOE or an EPA label. Energy Star or Zero Energy Ready, pick the level they want to go, and they really can enhance the decision. Now, of course, it's still important to have the right design, the right location, the right schools, the right architecture. We don't, you know, without question, those all have to be part of the uh, solution. But when all those other factors are in play and working out, if you got, make sure you ask for that, these Energy Star and Challenge Home or Zero Energy Ready labels, you're just going to optimize your your satisfaction with your next new house. Absolutely. Well, Sam, thank you so much for being on the show. Before we leave, I wanted to see if, you know, this is your chance to, you know, let our listeners know where they can learn more in general about this, about you, anywhere you want to kind of uh, make people aware of. Do you blog or tweet or any of that good stuff? Let me just recommend two things for now. Um, If they want to learn about DOE's Zero Energy Ready Home, go to www.buildings.energy.gov slash challenge. Now, it'd be a lot easier just to search on the DOE Challenge Home, but again, we're in that awkward phase where we're changing names to DOE Zero Energy Ready Home, but that is still in process. Mm. So if you search on DOE Challenge Home, you get amazing amount of great information and content. And the same thing, Energy Star has a great website, some amazing content, and I think consumers should take, or any listeners should take advantage of the EPA website as well. And lastly, you know, housing is a system. It's not just getting the, the energy and the performance right. It's doing good designs, good quality, good construction. It's doing good development practices. And for that, uh, again, if you want to go check out the uh, Retooling the U.S. Housing Industry, There, I look at the entire array of components you have to get right for housing to to really, really ultimately be where it needs to be. Uh, There's so many improvements we can make. We can really innovate the product. So that's another choice for good content. So there you are. Hope this is helpful and uh, it's great being with you. Absolutely. It's, it's very helpful. We'll put links to all those up on our website and your book as well, which is fantastic. I really recommend it for everybody who's going to buy a house or live in a house. It's very useful. So, Sam, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Hey, thank you. Welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Sam Rashkin. If you did enjoy it, as Chris mentioned, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave us a rating. I made it super easy. You can go to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash iTunes or smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Stitcher, and it will take you straight to those places where you can leave a nice review for us. I didn't know you did that. Yeah, man, I try to make it easy for people. You know? Takes skills. That's that's what John does here. He brings the technical aspect, and I personally, I believe I'm just a talent. 
So, uh, oh. <laughs> now you know what I was thinking of that movie with Vince Vaughn when he's the um, he does the bus tours in Chicago. You know oh, that one? Yes. He's like, I am the talent. People paid to see me. That's what I was thinking of right there. That movie was. Oh, I hated that movie. What was it? The breakup. You hated that movie? Yeah, because it was dumb. The end. The end was so dumb when i first watched it i was like oh this is great because this is how it would really happen but you know what i don't go to the movies to see how things would really happen i I... want you to want to do the dishes oh yeah why would i want to want to do the dishes oh it just it shows that just shows like the terrible aspects of both sides so awful actually this is an interesting thing if you're still listening that means you might kind of enjoy these rants or you like the movie the breakup (laughs) john and i are starting a video channel soon it's going to be much more based on smart people podcast than just our random musings but uh what we're going to do is after we interview a guest we're going to go into our video studio and we're going to kind of converse about the episode what we thought and we're going to pull out certain quotes and we'll su- like kind of surprise each other. So, hey, what'd you think of this quote? And then off the top of your head. And so you'll get some highlights. Uh, you'll get to kind of hang out with John and I and, and see what, what it's like in here. And uh, we're also taking suggestions on what you might like to see, hear, watch, learn. So shoot us an email if you want. Uh, sign up for the newsletter so you know when the video channel goes live. And uh, that's all I got. And follow us on Twitter at Smart People Pod. We're really pushing to get to over a thousand now. I don't understand how it's not there yet, mm. but we just crossed nine hundred. Tell a friend, you know, forward them our Twitter because you handle suck at all tweeting. that kind of stuff. Oh, please! I'm just kidding. It's My tweets. Are... May the fourth be with you today. Like, <laughs> that's amazing. Come just on. recently, I said to you, dude, I would totally follow Smart People Podcast, and then I realized. <laughs> I do follow. Do you, I was going to say, do you even follow <laughs> it? I mean, that could be us. another, that could be one more for our follower count. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. If you've made it this long, we love you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>